0: Make sure we're set. Okay. Um, We are doing the quality. You're in the quality Bible track. Just to double check so I understand crossover, have most of you stayed within this track? No? Yes? A little bit? Both? Okay. Mostly. um, What's good is there's a lot of overlap within the track, so, um, you know, it will be comprehensive and helpful no matter what. But this one is writing and picking Bible study material. Um, I have been asked to cover a lot of information and I'm super excited. I know we're post-lunch. You've already been getting a ton of information. So um, I just want us to pray and ask that God would strengthen us physically and emotionally and spiritually and that he would open our hearts to hear the word and to be humble as we approach the word and excited and really just for a little bit of stamina because this is so important and yet even i fall into the trap of being like oh man the day's getting long i got my coffee here but man this is such good stuff so let's pray and ask god just to be merciful to us and strengthening us for the task um this is putting on the spot but sarah would you mind praying for us okay thank you amen thank you so much sarah Okay, so we are talking about writing or picking quality Bible study material with the emphasis in this class on writing good Bible study material. Now, before we get into the practical ways in which we're going to do it, um, I want us to get our why. Because um, everyone needs a why. When you are getting ready to endeavor kind of into a, a meaningful and at times difficult Um, But rewarding task, you need a why. You need a why so that six weeks into writing Bible study curriculum and you are Netflix-deprived and your kids have been eating frozen meals now, you know, for six weeks, that you would remember, okay, why am I doing this? Like, why would I subject myself to this? I think of it a lot like this. I remember several years ago, when I lived in Illinois, I worked at church, in a, uh, on a staff at a church, and um, one of the staff members asked me, Hey, Whitney, will you do a, a participate in a yoga class I'm doing because there's two of us who are Christians, and there's this other person who's not a Christian, and they basically just wanted to bombard this person <laughs> with, like, love and the gospel and sharing. And so I was like, yes, I am pro-people coming to Jesus. Okay, here's the deal. It was three days a week at 5 Mm a.m. I wasn't working full time. Okay, so she wanted me to do yoga at 5 a.m. three days a week. One, I hate yoga. (laughs) It's like, oh, it's so zen. Now take your tongue and put it on the palm of your foot, and you're like, and they're like, oh, you know, and people are so relaxing, I'm like so stressed out, and I'm sweating, and I'm like, this is going to make me a non-Christian. I hate yoga. I mean, I love it. I'm so glad. I recently had a doctor be like, we're worried about the way you have racing thoughts, Whitney. We think you should do some yoga, and I was like, listen, no, but she asked if I would do yoga and if I would do it at 5 a.m., and to be honest, I really hate 5 a.m., I love mornings, but I'm sorry, 5 a.m. If it's not light, that's not morning. That's still night time. Okay. Amen. Okay, so the point is I knew that it mattered. I wanted this person to come to Christ. I did not care so much about the yoga. I did not care about sticking my tongue on the ball of my foot. I I didn't care about any of that stuff. And I lived in Illinois and it was wintertime, so it's like negative 20 degrees and there's nothing better on a cold Illinois, Illinois morning you know, than, than sleeping in. And so I committed to do this and about three to six months into it, when my alarm would go off at 4.30 and it was freezing cold, I would think, this is stupid. <laughs> and then I remember that person and how we'd been having conversations, and how we'd been seeing fruit in that person's life, and how they were kind of moved by just our willingness to love them and take them in. And FYI, that person did become a believer, and the kind of story of redemption in the family, it was amazing. But I had to dig deep and remember my why, because when you're doing something that's rewarding but also a little bit difficult, you have to have something that's going to help you when you wake up at 4 a.m. on a cold Illinois morning to make you get out of bed and go to yoga class. Okay, does that make sense? That's a long way of saying you've got to have a why. So, why should you write your own Bible study material? If it takes your time and your energy and your resources, if it takes mental energy that you've never even tapped into, if it takes kind of really being faithful to the text and working with the text, why should you do it? I listed 10 reasons this is not comprehensive. I have them in your sheet there because I want you to take them home with you. We're not going to spend a very long time working through it. But I want you to see, just kind of get wet your appetites on why you would labor in God's word to write material for your women. Okay, so let's walk through those super quick so that maybe you can grab a couple and be like, okay, this is going to carry me through a 4 a.m. Illinois morning. One... You'll grow in your affections for Jesus. Affections are like a muscle, okay? They get stronger as you work them. And so I find a lot of people say, you know, I just have a dull heart for the Lord. I have no affection for the Lord right now. But I encourage them to get into the Word and begin to work their affections, to study God's Word so that over time they might become more enthralled with the very incarnate Word of God, Jesus Christ. And so as you do Bible study and you're grappling with the text and you're doing the grueling process somewhere along the way, you fall more in love with Jesus. And that's worth it. I could stop there. Boom, drop the mic. I could stop there. Two, you... Okay, guys, come on. I know it's post-lunch, but... Drop the mic's always funny. Okay? It is always funny. Um, you will become a better Bible student just by working one text into another text into another text doing your own interpretation which we're going to get to you will just through practice and repetition become a better bible student i find the more i do it the more i just think um biblically and theologically almost like a knee-jerk reaction you'll make time for bible study regardless of your season of life i will be honest there is never a good time to write a bible study there's just not, there's not a good time. But I will also tell you this, when I have written a Bible study, and I know women are showing up expecting to do a study I or a team of us wrote, I'm a, I, I find ways to make time for it. It keeps you accountable, and it's not like a legalistic thing. It's a blessing in the end that I do it. You will always point to the gospel. I find one of the greatest challenges in picking curriculum, and we'll get to that, is making sure that the material points to Jesus and his gospel message. If we end up using prepackaged material that ultimately gives our women all these things they need to do, but doesn't direct them to the gospel, we've given them no power to to carry out these commands. And and as women, we're already kind of anxious and nervous and we're people-pleasers and we're control freaks and we're perfectionists in the best possible way. Um, And so the last thing we need is 100 things we're supposed to be doing right and then no power uh, in how to live for Jesus through the gospel message. So if you write your own, you can make those gospel connections every single time you open the scriptures. You'll you'll be better able to meet the needs of your particular women. The greatest need of women is always the good news of Jesus Christ, that he lived, died, and rose again, that they might be reconciled to the Father. Beyond that, there'll be seasons in the life of your church where I think you'll be able to notice particular needs. And no one knows your women better than you. And so even though there's well-known published authors, even though there's seminarians or seminary profs, they don't know your women and what they need most in that particular season. And you do. And that gives you an incredible advantage. You'll utilize the unique um, giftings of your women. You'll be able to see, perhaps you see two other women really seem to have a writing gift or a teaching gift. You can draw them in and do it together. You can even learn together. You might say, I don't really feel like I can do this. And she might say, I'm not really sure if I can either. And yet together as a team, you could begin to write the process and utilize and strengthen those gifts together. You will, you will encourage women that anyone can study the Bible. Mary and Kelly, like I said, we're on a teaching team together and we just had a meeting about this. And we were talking about the value of showing our women, like, we wrote this study. If Whitney can do it, you can do it. If Mary can do it, you can do it. If Kelly can do it, you can do it. It gives them um, confidence. If Sarah can interpret the scriptures, maybe I can interpret the scriptures. And you help model for them that they don't have to be a professional or a published author to study the scriptures, that anyone can study the Bible. You will um, be more invested in the material. Hands down, it just becomes your baby. You know, you spend six, nine months studying uh, the book of Titus. We just did that recently. By the time you come to teach it, you're so invested in the material because you've gone through that kind of birthing process. um, And and by the time it comes, you've just been super invested. Um, You'll have solid teaching material in advance. If you do all your own work, Bible interpretation work to write the study, then you'll have that material if you have a teaching time. And not everyone does, and that's okay. But if you do, you'll already have that material. And then finally, you'll be better able to utilize prepackaged material. I want to say this um, because I want every single workshop we do to be so drenched with the gospel. There will be seasons in your life or in the life of your church where you just can't write Bible study curriculum. Maybe you need to be nursing babies all day. Maybe you need to work to put yourself through college. Maybe you need to take care of an aging parent or, or a sick spouse. That's what God has called you to in that season. And so we know that what draws us near to God is the work of the Son. And so we cherish that and we're free in that to know our boundaries and our capacities. And that means sometimes we write our own material, but sometimes... There's extenuating circumstances, and we need to use someone's, you know, prepackaged work. You are free in the gospel to do that. But we want to make sure and put quality material before our women. That's important. Mm -hmm. We want to put quality material before our women. So here's five questions. If you're in a season of life where you simply need to use outside material, you are free, sister, to do that. But here's five things you need to think about. Say you're looking at three different studies you have the responsibility to go through these and kind of ask these questions. Does this study get women into the Bible? I mean, really, that's what we want to do in Bible study. We want to get women into the Word. If the Bible study only is getting, you know, giving you stories about the author or attaching you and making you rely more on the author, then I don't think it's serving its purpose. It needs to be just asking questions and and writing, curriculum in such a way that it gets women in the word. So look for that. Look for does it point women to Jesus in his gospel message. I already preached this, I know, but please do not give material to your ladies that will only burden them with commands they they cannot live beneath. We want to point people to Jesus in every single study we do. Does it teach women to think well on the Word? When we're doing Bible study, it should always be teaching us interpretive principles. Now listen, I love how Mary said this the other day. She said, they weren't ready for the I word, and I'd never thought about it. Inductive Bible study. You know, that can be like a little overwhelming, or like saying Bible interpretation. If you tell your ladies, we're going to exegete Colossians, they are all going to have a panic attack, you know, and not come back. I can't exegete, I don't even know what that means. So you don't have to set it up like, we're going to do a hermeneutics course. But you want to make sure whether you write it or you, oh, no, is there an inside joke there? (laughs) Yeah, probably don't. I I encourage people not to use the H word, though I love hermeneutics. I love hermeneutics. Um, You know, what you do is, I'm like a little Bible interpretation ninja. Always get people to do it whether they know it or not. I don't care if a woman knows she's doing hermeneutics. When I was 20, I did, and it was really a disaster. But now, you know, I've wisened up. Who cares? Who cares? If if that's going to intimidate them, don't worry about that. But make sure whether you write or this is prepackaged, are you teaching women principles of interpretation? Is this study teaching women principles of interpretation? Four, does it fit the particular season of your women? I already spoke to that. If you have all new believers or maybe even some unbelievers, some way advanced study by a a scholar is not going to be fitting. So just, you know, be mindful of where they are and see if that study would be helpful at that time. And then finally, does it include life-changing application? I'm so big on this and you'll hear it in a few minutes, but I believe that we read the scriptures so that we can encounter the living God. We don't do it so we can grow in knowledge. We don't do it so we can just teach a workshop. We don't do it to correct people or to know more than someone else. We don't even do it to feel good. We, we read the scriptures to encounter the living God. And so you want to make sure that your Bible studies get to that application piece. You can do all of the amazing interpretive processes in the world, and if at the end of the day, if your women are not changed by the Word of God, then we've done them a disservice in the studies we've picked. You know, there's such a new movement for women to be in the Word, and I love it. Like, women of the Word, that's becoming a really common, familiar thing. My pushback, because I always have one on everything, <laughs> is, you know, I don't want to swing to the other side, where it's Word, word, and then we become gospel Nazis. I just, you know, it's like, oh my goodness, we just keep swinging back and forth. We want God's word to change us. So we do the interpretive processes, but at the end of the day, I want to be transformed by my encounter with the living God. And I don't want my Bible study to be stale, and I think just because we do good interpretation doesn't mean it's dry or has to feel super scholarly. We want to be changed by God's word. And so make sure whether you're writing your own or, or picking another, that it is, includes application. Don't assume that your women will apply the text without that helpful last step. Okay, so all of that. So now what we're going to do is spend the rest of the time assuming that you're going to go forward and one day write your own study whether it's with a team or yourself or in kind of maybe concert with the leadership of your church. So know that you can do pre-packaged, but let's focus on the nitty-gritty of how do I write a Bible study. Have I convinced you yet? The point, like Mary says, no. (laughs) Darts. Um, Yes, point one, uh, I feel like I use the Jesus trump card. It's kind of unfair, but you'll grow your affections for Jesus. It's worth it. So... How do we write good Bible study material? I think there's two steps. We do Bible interpretation, and then we ask good questions. I know it seems so much more difficult because of some of the material we've seen out there where they have great stories and illustrations and they have great graphics and this and that, but all of that is details. The editing and the graphics and the packaging, that all comes If you can do Bible interpretation and ask good questions, you can seriously write a Bible study for your ladies. So, we're just going to break those two pieces down. Doing Bible interpretation and then asking good questions. Let's start with that first piece, Bible interpretation. Do you all see on your three pieces of handouts here, the second one should say simple Bible study method? Um, about a year ago or a year and a half ago, I just kind of boiled down how I do Bible interpretation. This is some version of the I word or the H word. Okay, I did not reinvent the wheel. I'm not doing anything new. Basically, actually, let me show you guys this. I think this is super helpful. When we think about Bible interpretation, I think we get super overwhelmed. Do we do the inductive method? Do we, do we have three steps or four steps? Do we call it... Uh, implications or correlation and it can be really paralyzing because we're not sure if we're doing it right but here's all bible interpretation is and I want to explain it this way I like to joke that my little small brain needs very very simple um, images and ideas to kind of boil it down to make sense to me so when we're doing bible interpretation no matter what you call it no matter if you include five steps two steps four steps here's what we need to do okay Um, so this is us now. Pretty soon with the humidity, this will be me. (laughs) I have really curly hair. Okay. So this is us now. And we want to open the scriptures, hear from God, and then we want to turn it into, um, you know, life-changing curriculum for women. So what happens is we open the book of Colossians. And we read cautions, and if we don't do Bible interpretation, we aren't for sure what to do, so we just point our fingers somewhere and think, okay, that's for me. But what we have to remember is that the, before the Bible was written to us, it was written to an original audience, right? An original audience had what? Their own culture, their own, uh, what did you... <laughs> their own problems, they had their own occasions They're, they they had different scenarios, so they have all these things um separating us from them, so I like to say this is them uh then we'll give them that person has a big head, I'm not for sure why, so here we go, so them then, so. We want to get a word from the living God. The scriptures were originally written to an original audience in their historical context, their cultural context, the literary context, and the author had a main point he was conveying to them. And yet we know there's a divine author, God. God's spirit inspired the scriptures. So it also has a meaning for us today. It can be applicable to us today. So when we do in Bible interpretation, it's nothing fancy, all we want to do is we want to hear an accurate word from god we want to apply the scriptures faithfully we want to teach the scriptures in a way that's true and um with integrity so what work is so what i do is we have this huge gap between us and we need to find a way to bridge this gap that is a horrible bridge we need to find a way to bridge this gap that for me is what bible interpretation is Bible interpretation is bridging the gap between what the author intended to mean to them and wrote to them, and then through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what it means to us today. So however, if you do three steps, if you do four steps, the biggest thing is understanding what was God saying to them through that particular author, then we're going to work our way across this bridge, and then we're going to hear a life-changing word from God today. So... What I do is I use my little sheet. And a lot of us on the teaching team, we um, uh, have used this. I think, uh, I know Ashley has used it at times, just like we'll tuck it in our Bible. And so it's just like a little cheat sheet on how to bridge the gap. And it's it's not a litmus test of failure or success. It's just a helpful handout. So say we're here Let's do, um, we're going to do an example here in a little bit. I'll start with, let's do Colossians 3, 1 through 4. And Kelly and Mary, I'm so sorry, because we did this when I did Bible interpretation. Last night at 10 o'clock, I was like, what example have I done before? So we have Colossians 3, 1 through 4. We read it. Could someone read that out loud for me? Okay. So we just opened the scriptures. We're walking through the text. We're doing our own Bible interpretation. Say we come across... Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Okay, we have our journal, we have our notebook, we have our Bible and pen, and now we're going to start bridging that gap. So first, we read it through, right? Read the text several times. So we'd read it, and then we're going to slow down, and we're going to read it more carefully, and the first step across the bridge is in some way to observe the text. So right here, think of this as just coming up a little bit. We're going to start making observations. This would be anything that's in the content of that passage. I always think observations is content. Um, I think the biggest pitfall is thinking you have to come up with something new. This is literally just what's right there in the text. So let's look at Colossians 3, 1 through 4. What would be, um, I have on the worksheet, consider the content of the passage. Are there any keywords? So let's just look at that one. Do you see any words that are repeated a couple of times? Christ, how many times is Christ repeated? Four. four. So in a passage, a short passage, four verses, Christ is repeated four times. So that should, like, jump off of the pages of you. That is an observation. Christ, the way I do it, like, say I have a notebook and I'm doing study, I might do, because I mean I'm not going to spend forever, I might just do, like, Christ four times. And say, I, these are my observations. So that helps me understand that something about Christ is going on in this passage. And as you study the whole book of Colossians, you'll realize that the term Christ is used at least over twenty-five times, depending on translation. It's like the theme. He, that, uh, that anointed Messiah. That's he's like the theme of the whole book. But we'll get there in a little bit. Okay. Um, What about? Is there any um, cause and and effect relationships? If then. Kelly, just, anytime you see an if-then, that's going to be a cause-and-effect relationship. If you've been raised with Christ, what should you do? Seek the things above. So then I would jot that down. I would just, um, you know, if, and then raised with Christ maybe, then uh, seek Christ. So he says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek Christ. You know, so I could go, I could spend five minutes on observations. I could spend two hours on observations. Okay, so you're just observing the content of the passage. Does that make sense? Do you have any questions about that? Okay, so you're feeling like you've kind of wrestled around, read it and read it. You've noticed a few things maybe you haven't noticed before because you've just breezed over it quickly. But now you're really focused on it. So then, though, obviously, we want to be changed by God's Word. I'm going to just keep going back to that over and over and over. We need to apply the Word. So now let's go a little bit further. And now, we're going to start considering context. <laughs> okay, so historical context. Now, okay. go <laughs> Yeah, I know. I'm like, hey, you, what are you going to say? Yeah. Yes. So that's exactly what historical context would be. You want to think through, like, okay, Paul's, Writing in this, he's um, talking, he's writing to the letter of uh, the church at Colossae. So then probably you'd want to think like, okay, so what do I know about Colossae? You know, and this is where you might consult an outside study guide, um, like a study Bible. Obviously, you want to do as much work in the Word as you can. But I think I am not anti-study Bible. I think it's helpful for some background details if you can't find it. Get, figure out like what was Colossae like, um, history of that, cultural customs. We'll come to find out that Colossae used to be like this booming city, and then it kind of, kind of passed on. But what was left over was really a melting pot of all these different um, religious groups and sects and people um, because it had used to have been a really popular trade city. And so by the time we get to Colossians, we're going to find out that Colossae has um, kind of all these... um, They have Stoics and Gnostics and they have Jews and it's really a cultural melting pot. And that is going to, when we get to it, like why does historical cultural matter? Because when we get to the main point, that will really make a difference. So that's spot on. Um, We could do more there, but let's think literary context. I always imagine... You can think of it this way. I don't really necessarily have any. Actually, you could do this. Um, This is, say, your text. So then you might look at this would be the context, you know. You could do the passages, look around it, see if that helps meaning at all. Or then you could look at the book. Because, like I was saying, in the end, the book of Colossians is so interwoven that, like, helping understand the whole message of Colossians is really going to affect each passage. Then you would do the whole um, Bible, the canonical context or redemptive historical context. Or you can just say context in the whole Bible. It doesn't have to be fancy. What I do with literary context though, is because I'm so visual is I I imagine I'm standing in my text. So I'm standing in Colossians three, one through four. And I always have to say what came before me and what's coming in front of me. So it's like, it's, Imagine that you're in a new city and you have no idea what's going on and you need to get your bearings. You always want to get your bearings when you're in the Bible. So literary context is kind of just like getting your bearings. You know, it's important to do every time you're studying a passage. And then I have, um, I, I think about the redemptive historical context. So one way we can look at this, this is a whole different teaching, but, that's horrible, is if we know, if you're at Verity Fellowship, we know that all of Scripture points to Jesus, and all of Scripture is in, interpreted in light of the Christ event, which, when I say that, that's just the life, the coming, the incarnation of Jesus, His perfect life, sacrificial death, resurrection, then outpouring of the Spirit. So, um, we know, when we read the Scripture, specifically like Luke 24, Jesus tells us that this is actually the climax of all the, the prophets and all the wisdom and all the poets, the poetry, it's, it's the climax. So every time I interpret, interpret any passage, I want to say, okay, how does this stand, where does my passage stand in relation to the Christ event? Does that make sense? So where am I in their redemptive story? Colossians, it's nice because it's like, Epistles are nice. They're a little bit of a softball. Jesus came, he lived, he died, rose again. Churches started, and we're in that. We're in that. We're in the same redemptive um, era as the epistles. So it's really nice. Um, this will become super important if you're doing like Old Testament narrative, which if you're in the literary genre class, we kind of touched on that. You'll need to look and say, okay, how is this pointing forwards to Christ? Or, you know, Revelation, we're waiting for his return, and how how does that return affect all of this in between and our mission in between? So, again, I know these are silly kind of graphs, but they help me think through interpretation. So you always think through the redemptive historical context. Where is my passage in relation to what Jesus did? Then what we're going to do here, oh, wait, are we feeling good? Yeah, Sarah got good, yeah. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so here we go. What we're going to do now is then, um, this is a summary. This really is the author's intended meaning or the author, you could call this a main point of your passage. I have found, and this is just a note for teachers, I have found that when you say something like author's intended meaning, it just sets women up, and I still use it, but It sets women up to think that there's like one way to say it and everything else is failure. There is a main point of the passage, but I don't want to paralyze people from finding that. So what I like to say is, can you give me a summary sentence of what this passage means? Or could you give me a, can you give me one sentence summarizing the main emphasis? Or, and you can say main point, just make sure because... The thing is, we're going to probably word it a little differently. As long as we're getting the main point, keeping the main thing the main thing, it's fine. So just communicate this. You could call it main point. You could call it theme. You could call it emphasis. Uh, Why can I not say that? Um, But what do you want them to do is we want to write a one-sentence summary statement, taking our observations into account, taking context into account. What does? Just ask yourself, what does this passage mean? So we, we made observations. We didn't make very many because we're going to do a full-on blown example. Then we looked at context, okay, the historical context factors in, what came before this. He just has been talking about um, not letting the false teachers disqualify who they are in Christ, that Christ is sufficient for their salvation and their sanctification. And then he's going to move forward and get into the real practical details of what it means to put to death sin and live to Christ So we'd go through all that. Obviously, this is all kind of um, condensed. But then I want to write a summary statement of one uh, uh, chapter three verses one through four. And if I were going to write a summary statement, does anyone want to take a stab at it? We're going to do another example. Well, it should have seek and said. Yeah. See, seek and said. Those are going to be things. Should probably have Christ in there. In Colossians, if you save Christ, you, like, have got half the point. So it's, just FYI, that's a, this little nugget. Um, let's see here. Um, So we're talking about being raised with Christ, so I think, union with Christ. So if you've been raised with Christ, live for Christ. I mean, I think it could be a simple, a summary statement really could be, um, If you've been raised with Christ, live for Christ. Okay, so to test and say, like, because I have people ask me all the time, how do I know if I got it right? (laughs) Which I think that's a great heart, you know, to really want to handle the scriptures well. I would want to go back and look and actually make sure that... um, I would reread the text and actually make sure that this is what he's saying. But he is saying, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is. If I had a long time to do exposition, I would, uh, I would help you understand that that just means seek Christ. Uh, like, what do, I, what do I seek in heaven? You know, it can get a little... But it really just means seek Christ. And then, um, for you've died and your life's hidden. When Christ is your life, he appears. Then you also appear with him in glory. So then I notice in verse 4, I didn't totally account... I think this is good, but could I account for verse 4? When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So there's kind of a future glory thing going on here. Yeah, it could be, okay, if you've been raised with Christ, live for Christ, um, forever with Christ, um, or let's, um, when you're raised with him, live with him in glory, so you go forever with Christ. I'm getting into all my examples now. You could do, um, if you've been raised with Christ, live for Christ because Christ is going to return. You know, because it says, when Christ is your life who appears, then you also appear with him in glory. So there's a piece in there about him returning should affect how I live now. So there's like a motivation there. So if you've been raised with Christ, live for Christ, and knowing Knowing he'll return, because, I like that, because he'll return. If you've been raised with Christ, live for Christ, because he'll return, knowing he'll return, Um, if you've been, do you see how there's options? But we just want to account for what's in the passage. So, like, I liked my first, I really liked it because it was short and punchy, but it's like, okay, but I also want to get that motivation, because he's going to return, that's going to affect how I live today. And so you can work with the main idea. It's going to morph and change, and you'll grow as you do this. Again, that's why I like writing Bible study material, is you'll grow as you do this. Okay, so we have a summary sentence, and then the last step is that step that I think is so important. Now we know we can faithfully apply it. Here's what I do. Is this, I think this is on the sheet under application. I, do you guys see this? What is this with these handouts? I have so many handouts here. Apply the text. Okay, so one thing I like to do about down here. Again, this isn't like, thus saith the Lord. I like to look for timeless truths. I ask myself, is there anything true for all of God's people in all places at all times? Now, here's why I like to do this before application. Is there anything true for all of God's people in all places at all times? If I discovered the timeless truth, I can be certain that there is something in there that's going to apply to me. You know, if something is culturally bound, that's not going to apply. So we've already worked with the cultural work, right, when we did context. Now I'm concerned with what's true for all of God's people in all places at all times. Well, go back to Colossians 3. If then you've been raised to Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Okay, so what's time timeless truth from that? Yeah. Seek the things above. Seek Christ, okay? So a timeless truth would be seek Christ. That would be believers. If you're in Christ, seek Christ. But if you'll notice on that worksheet, I want you to apply the main ideas of the text to your life. I want application to be so, so, so specific. And we'll get into this because all of your work now, Will be the very work you use to write curriculum. And you will find in Bible study groups, if you're in a Bible study group, it is so easy to get to the application and say, Well, what am I supposed to do? Seek Christ? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll seek Christ too. Okay, we're all going to seek Christ. Well, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's true. It's true. That's a timeless truth to seek Christ. But now application is going to drill down. And for you, what does it look like, Kelly, for you right now at your stage in life with everything on your plate, with all your own anxieties and worries and cares and, and good things and bad things, what does it look like for you to seek Christ? That's I get that specific with application. What does it look like for you, Sarah, to seek Christ? And so I want to make sure that once we get those timeless truths, then I... I really want to drill down to real life. Oh, now I'm bleeding over into writing curriculum. But think about it. I mean, if you're thinking about the women in your church, you have uh, Christians. You probably have non-Christians, whether you know it or not. You, you have young mothers. You have faithful saints. You have um, doubters. You have people who are, are just rich and robust in their faith. And so we want to take a timeless truth and then first apply it to ourselves very practically and, 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 like, very timely. But then we want to learn to ask questions that avoid the seek Christ, seek Christ, seek Christ. Well, we're all going to seek Christ. Okay. You know, and then a non-Christian could walk away from that and, and not technically have to, like, deal with sin or, you know, so we want to really get specific So like, I'm trying to think for me personally, okay, you know, I share all my struggles with everyone, but I, uh, in the last year, Mary Kelly and I were laughing this morning. I just had like the worst year ever. Actually, Sarah and I talked about this for a while. Um, I have just had like chronic illness, a little spit of homelessness. I mean, like we, my husband and I have had mono for five months. That stuff is crazy. I've never been so tired in my life. I was like, I am finally, before I knew I had, I was like, this is the end. I'm finally aging. Like, this is what, (laughs) this is what it feels like to age. And, you know, like, I was, like, barely hanging on. The doctors were like, you've had mono probably for a long time. But, so, it's just been, like, so, like, for me, at this season of life, I I work just part-time here at Western, so I've been grading a ton of papers and doing some writing assignments and um, trying to get ready for this. So, like, last night, I was just, this is amazing, and I love this stuff, but I was just, like, so stressed out. And I was like, I can't do it, God, I can't do it, I can't, I can't do anything. I'm going to run away. I'm going to get in my car and just run away. Like, why not? You know, not because I don't love teaching this, I just, it's, it, this is where I'm at. And I was thinking, well, ironically, about this, and I was like, what did it look like, like, for me to see Christ? And I just put everything aside, and for me, I turned on some worship music, and I just, like, rested and prayed for, like, 20 minutes, and it was, it was just a game changer. because I felt like that's what I needed to do. I mean, I'm, I'm doing this interpretation, and I'm like, okay, see Christ, see Christ. Like, God, I'm going to run away. I hate life. And, you know, like, at the end of the day, we shouldn't want to, like, not be Christians, you know, because of serving God. And so, <laughs> I, let's just be honest. We've all been there. And so, I just, you know, like, for me, what was it like to see Christ? I needed to step aside, even if that means that obviously my notes are not super clear. And I needed to refocused my mind on him for me in that moment i just needed to listen to some worship music i didn't need to do 10 pages of interpretation i had been doing that you know and i just needed to apply god's word to my heart and i was just like lord please just fill me even now you know fill me and today i have just felt such energy and i know i've had friends praying for me and i've just been so grateful for that but that that is to take colossians 3 1 through 4 and go all the way to the other side you know It kept me from getting in my car. That's the word of God. It's so powerful. Honestly, my car probably wouldn't make it these days. I'd be broke down by Oregon City. And so, you know, it's just, that is, um, when we do Bible interpretation, that's what I walk through. And I've done seminary, yeah, and I love theology and high-level stuff or whatever, but at the end of the day, when I do Bible interpretation, I promise you, this is what I'm doing. And I believe Anyone can do this. I don't think you need a seminary degree. I don't think you have to be an official Bible teacher. I don't think you have to be a published author. I think every believer can learn to bridge the gap and get a meaningful word from God. So what I did is, and don't worry, I'm sure you guys are like, oh, does she know what time it is? I do. I don't know if we're going to do it, but I do know what time it is. Okay, so on your sheet there, before we get into how to turn this into like material, On your third sheet, if you'll notice, I have the book of Colossians here. I know. Ideally, I would have, like, put these in order or something. But the one that says the book of Colossians, the sufficiency of Christ. Okay, so what I did is on the front, I did a little pre work for you, and I'll just describe this super quick. If you were going to do a Bible study for women, before you start working, oh, I should have said, with this, what I'll do is I'll start with Colossians 1, 1 through 2, and say I have, we have six months, say, to prep for a Bible study. We all, we're on a teaching team, so at Henson we're on a teaching team. You might do it alone. You might do it with a team. We assign passages, and we work through and interpret it on our own first before we turn it into curriculum. So that's, I should have said that. That is what our writing process looks like. We just do, we do Bible interpretation all the way through, make sure we're on point with our interpretations, collaborate together, And then we come back and we write questions coming out of that. So we'll just, I mean, we just do it on each section of scripture. But before we get into the actual text, you'll want to do some good background work. And that's, I gave you that because clearly we don't have time. But on the 90 millionth handout, on the other side of my Bible interpretation method, I have the exact steps I take to give background work to a book. So this is the work you'll do. I know it's super confusing. This is, it says the discipline of Bible study. It says where to begin before you study. Pick a good translation. You know, get a journal. So that's all pre-work that we won't cover, but it's all right there, and it's in logical order, so you would just follow it. I will say this. This is the pre-work you do one time. So don't worry. You don't, every time you sit down for Bible study, you don't do this. Every time you start a new book of the Bible you'll want to get some background work. And you'll probably want to give some form of this to your ladies or help them discover this. But you don't want to just dive into Colossians kind of having no idea what's going on. This is where you get into, like, what's the literary genre, you know. Um, I always do the who, what, where, when, why. So you have all that information there right there with you. And But I went ahead and showed you maybe what it could look like if you were to do Honestly, say you were to go home and write a study over Colossians for your local women. I would show the structure of Colossians. And you guys could have totally done this. Teaching on who Christ is and what he's done. Chapters 1 and 2. Application of that teaching in every area of life. 3 through 4. There's a logical structure of Colossians. So that's the sort of thing that you would either want to include. Like You would do like um, your week 1 would be more of an introduction. Or you could um, give them this material. But right there, you'll want to do some version of that and then start interpreting chunk by chunk by chunk. Just to be safe, because I kind of did that out of order. Do you guys, please tell me, does that really make sense? Okay, so I um, pretend like you just did all this work. If you're wondering, most of this you can get from the very book. Um, Sometimes you consult like an outside study Bible, especially if you're new and you're like, I'm a little uncertain of background. Use a trustworthy study Bible. I love the ESV study Bible, and I double-check a lot of my work, and I think it's very helpful. Don't feel bad about using that. I'm, I'm totally okay, as long as you realize it's man's work. You know, it's not the inspired Word of God. Okay, so let's pretend like we just got all of that. What I want you to do is take two or uh, three minutes and briefly read over that just to get an overview of Colossians. Is that too much? Freedom that whole sheet (laughs) yeah the book of cloth is that too much is that possible okay feel free to skim because then we're going to do an example you're going to do an example but you'll want to get the background work okay as you're finishing up and I, I know you probably didn't make it all the way through that's totally fine you may have So imagine that all of that information, you've done your study work, and now all of that is in your mind, right? As you sit down and for the next six months, you're going to work through with a team or by yourself the book of Colossians because in a year, you're going to launch a Bible study curriculum on Colossians. So you've done all your pre-work, and now you're ready for that exciting part. You're going to get into the text and do, you're going to bridge the gap. You're going to do Bible interpretation. Turn it over. Oh, yeah, go for it. Yes. Yes oh that's a good question okay she said and because of the fan i have a theme there but if this is the beginning work how do i know that's the theme because i haven't even been interpreting that's really good the first thing i'd like to do is read through i might start i know say i'm going to study colossians uh, several weeks out i will just start to read colossians i might read it i'm compulsive i might read it 10 times you know and not in one setting but say i have Five, um, five days, ten Bible study days. I might just do it devotionally. I'm just reading through Colossians, reading through Colossians. So, excuse me, I'm getting a bird's eye view. And I'm noticing Christ is all over the place. I'm noticing that Paul keeps going back to the work of Christ. I notice that Paul keeps talking about the preeminence of Christ. And so I am putting themes together there. But Kelly brings up a good point. You might, at this stage, you might have a tentative theme that when you really start to study it, it honestly might change. Because as you get more into the book, you might realize, you know, I, th- I thought the theme was this, but I think it's a little more that. Or it might be like my summary statement. I'm close, but I need to add a few more things. So know that at this stage, this is the beautiful um, rough draft. There's so much freedom in a rough draft. You can always go back and revise. And I would expect you probably will a little bit. After six months of being in the book, you're going to come back and be like, wow, you know, yeah. Well, you should have come to my literary genre, of course. And <laughs> I yes, you do, inter- I think you do interpret the same basic idea, but there are different ways to do narrative material. And that's why I am super passionate about literary genres, which is like, really, you're passionate about that? But because, like, I might do two verses in an epistle, but I might do two or three chapters in a narrative. And so I want to find the primary emphasis of the narrative And that's going to be uh, found within the plot or the structure. And so when I'm taking someone through that and I'm doing that, I'm not picking apart every word in a narrative. I'm looking for main characters, for a setting, for a plot, and then I'm going to find the emphasis in that. So you're right. It will look a little bit different. These are still going to be your basic principles, but that's why, like, okay, I always teach Bible interpretation, but in the next breath I want to teach literary genres, so you can kind of work with that. This might sound funny. I do encourage people who are writing studies for the first time or just getting their feet wet, I encourage an epistle. You know, no need to do Leviticus in your first Bible study, okay? I mean, you don't need to. <laughs> Sorry, did you just take a drink? for you know. <laughs> Leviticus. That's such a bad rap. But, you know, like, you know, be wise. Like, because, you know, if you're, if you're taking a big step, that means your women, it's probably like ten more of a steps for them. So what I like to do is you want to set people up for success when it comes to Bible study. I used to just set people up for failure. I was so excited. I would teach all this stuff. And then by the end of the study, no one was there. You know, because they're like, oh, my gosh, she's crazy. You know, so better to show them you can study the Bible. And start with an epistle because they're like, oh, yeah, this pertains to my life. And then as they grow, we did a Titus, and I had hints and then we did Colossians. So, we really stuck to an epistle for really uh, epistles for a whole year. And now, this next year, we just had a Bible study meeting and we're going to start writing Mark. So, still New Testament, but now we're getting uh, the the genre of gospel material. So, it's going to be a little different. But so, you know what I mean? Always just, you want to walk your ladies along, right? And you want to build and strengthen them as they go. And so, starting an epistle showing them hey let's just walk across you take their hand take their hand and walk them across and then you can over time strengthen them to i mean i don't know if you ever want to do an expository thing over leviticus but over time you'll strengthen them to be able i mean i assume eventually we'll do prophets. you know that's not low-hanging fruit but we're building up our like um strength in biblical study that's a great question um Okay, so what you're going to do is turn it on the other side of the, the book of Colossians with a partner or um, several partners. Feel free to do a couple of it, ever most natural. We don't have time to go way into this. We're going to look at Colossians 1, 1 through 2. I want you to write down two quick observations. Think just about one context piece. Take a stab, I know I'm throwing you on the spot, you have like five minutes to do it, right? Take a stab at a summary sentence. It's two verses, so, and it's a greeting, so it's going to be pretty basic. And then uh, think of an application. So I'm only, I'm going to give about five minutes. I know you're probably thinking, how are we going to turn this into a Bible study material? Don't worry. I've an ability to speed things up at the end. But this is the thing, I tell everyone, if you can do Bible interpretation, you can write a Bible study. So that's why we're spending uh, 50 minutes on that. Okay, so go ahead and start. Verses 1 through 2, just the greeting, two quick observations, one context piece, one sentence summary, one application. Okay, I hate to break this up. this is like music to my ears. I wish we had two hours. You're like, yeah, I don't. No, I'm just kidding. I love this. Um, real quick, I know that I like obviously threw you guys under the bus, and I'm like, here's two minutes for interpretation. But it just if we did a quick cursory overview of bridging the gap, give me an observation that you came up with. They're believers. They're believers. Show me where you got that. Um, he says to saints and faithful brothers. That's huge. Saints and faithful brothers. I I would. That is definitely an observation I would use. What's the second observation? It's Paul and Timothy. Isn't that interesting? Because we always think it's Paul, 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 and he even uses the singular throughout, but it says Paul and our brother Timothy. That's perfect. Okay, oh, there's so many good observations here. Um, But let's consider one contextual piece. What's one thing? It could be historical, literary, or cultural Okay, so that's good. Here's what I would do. Go to the end. If you're in Paul, you always want to work in the book if you can. Go to chapter 4 and read the very last verse. You just read the first verse. He signed it. So here's what happens. Usually Paul used... A um he dictated to someone like a secretary, so since he since it says Paul and then Timothy, my brother, but then most of its I threw out, but then it says he signed it that's all confusing, most likely Timothy wrote it, he dictated, but then he would write his own, yeah. so especially in the pauline letters, it's good to look at the front and back and see a lot of times he'll say that, okay, perfect, so that would be an observation. Yeah, so that's something to be thinking about. Okay, this is Paul. Timothy's there. He's probably helped, um, you know, probably, he's probably dictating to Timothy. What would be another contextual thing, Kelly? This is not a that right. That's big. Yeah, that's huge. This is so interesting because he's going to talk to them like they're the most cherished brothers in all the world. He's never even met them. So that's super interesting to think through. That's a great contextual thing to think about and if you're like, well, how did she get that? Remember that you would have already done your pre-work and you're thinking about all of that. Okay, so I know this is off the cuff and we don't have, you didn't have very much time, but do you have a summary sentence? Anyone feeling bold? Paul and Timothy agree to Christians with the grace and peace that come from God. <laughs> That's a perfect. Boom, you know. Hey, you could drop the mic. That's really exactly what Paul thinks. So that is that is that's his primary um, emphasis, his thrust, his main point, his summary. He, him, and Timothy are greeting the believers at Colossae with grace, with grace and peace. That's amazing. That would be a perfect summary. So then, what we want to do is looking at all this. This is always the funnest thing: is like, can we really apply a greeting? I think you can. So we think about timeless truths. Paul, an apostle, we don't have the apostolic that sort of role anymore but you know is there think through stuff like are we called by god's will for specific things you could think through identity statements saying some faithful brothers in christ at Colossae, grace and peace from god there's some timeless truth there so what would be one application you could get from here how do we connect to the people we haven't met before okay yeah something about how can you Love, like, how could you love, support, and connect with believers who you've never even met? That might be a great thing to challenge and think, like, globally, if we're thinking about the global church. Sometimes I like to think about, like, the local church, global church. You can think about applications and lots of different things. That's great. We think about like, how do we approach people? What is our heart and our, and our attention? Because he made his intentions clear. Yeah, that, I, yeah. Yeah. Are you, you know, he really goes out of his way. He's writing this letter with grace and peace. And again, once you read Colossians, you're astounded. This guy's never met them. He's like praying continually. He's loving them. He's sending them grace and peace. Another thing I pull out um, is huge. It's just, just like you'll find out later on in Colossians that they're really struggling with deviating from the centrality of Christ. They're tempted not to be faithful. And yet because they're in Christ, what does he call them? Faithful. Faithful. You know, man, what an encouragement to me in my own personal study time when I do not feel like I've been living faithfully to remember that because I'm in Christ, I'm a faithful saint. I'm a faithful daughter. I'm a faithful sister. I'm a faithful brother in Christ. You know, so like right there, you can apply a greeting in so many different powerful ways. Okay, so you're wondering how in the world in six minutes do we turn this into life-changing curriculum? Honestly, this needs to be two classes, but let me tell you this. You would take that material... And now say you've done all the book of Colossians, but you're doing day one with your women, and you're going to do verses one through two. First thing you do, it's write down your notes, a launching question. A launching question is simply, it is um, a softball. It's not, I'm not saying flowery or not important, but you want to set your women up for success. So you want to ask them a question that gets them into the text, but it gets them excited, and something they can answer. So, again, can you exegete questions one, one through two? That's not a launching question, you know. Um, something, this is a book that they're going to give away in the next session, so it's really helpful. This book, Mary used it also and referenced it. At the end, he, he tells you exactly how to write. It's by uh, Colin Marshall, and it's in the further resources. How to write launching questions. He does one for Colossians. He says, like, imagine you're. this would be a question for the women. Imagine you're a reporter at the Colossae Times and you interview Paul. What would he say about the Colossians? So right there, you, you kind of just got him excited. Um, more, maybe more pertinent today would be like, imagine Paul's on social media and he's been talking about a church that he's heard about. What does he say? That would be a legitimate question to open up a study. It would get them right into the text. And they would be able to be like, well, he says they're saints and faithful brothers. Like that's a launching question. It should be something they can answer hashtag Colossians. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so um, ask a launching question. Always start out with a launching question. Uh, and it should be something they should be able to answer. Whet their appetites. gets them into the text. Do you have any questions on that? So you have just wrote the first question in your Bible study. You know, Paul's on social media. What does Paul say about the uh, believers at Colossae? What does Paul have to say about the Colossian church? That's your launching question. And that's right there, I know, in your segment there. Okay, now you want them to observe the text just like you did, but you want to help them do it. So you're going to ask them something from verses 1 and 2 that can get them to draw out the content. So off the cuff, can you think of an observation question you could ask someone in curriculum? Who's Mary? What did we What's learn true? about Paul? That's huge. What did we learn about Paul? They'll 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 be able to say he's an apostle by the um, of Jesus Christ by the will of God and even in a small group that could stimulate a good question like why did he say the will of God is it because he's getting ready to you know uh, refute false teachers and authority you mean it could go on to a lot more discussion what did you well, hey, what did you have I liked oh, I, I was just asking saying, um who were the authors yeah. Getting them them to observe the text. These don't have to be like life-changing questions. Just asking questions um, that gets them in the text. Um, You could say something like, do you think there's any significance to the fact that he says grace and peace? You know, so you're just getting them to look at the passage and think through. Another observation question. um, uh, Can you think of one more? I know makes Yeah, what well, Yeah, what makes Paul an apostle, and why does that matter for this letter? Getting them to think, uh, so just getting them to work around in the text just like you did. And then, okay, you ask, and then you'll notice I put structure there. I think it's helpful to do like a launching question, maybe two, maybe three at the most. observation, two context, one summary, two applications. And then I say rinse and repeat as needed because you could do that several times in a longer passage, like a narrative or or something along those lines. Two con, okay, we're going to move even quicker. What would be a good context question? What was going on in Colossus at the time Paul wrote the letter? Is that context? Yes, that's perfect. That's perfect. And so you're also now thinking of your women and what they have access to. So that is perfect. What I would do is guide them a little bit because you want them to figure out what's going on in Colossians, uh, or in Colossae, or Colossae, but they might not be able to find it just depending on the level of your women. So you might. Yeah, you might show a couple different verses. Look up um, chapter 2, this verse. And it will say, let, therefore let no one pass judgments on you in regards to food or drink. Say like 16 through 18. Have them read that and then say, what do you think might be going on in Colossae? I mean, it doesn't have to. it's not pass or fail, but get them thinking about that. Can you redirect them back to Acts, where his, his actual... Kind of verse, that they will get yeah, yeah. You're teaching people to work contextually. That's great. A context question be, you can look up where Paul was preaching in Ephesus, and that's where Epaphras came and got converted. You might have them look up that... And then think contextually. You, the big goal is to get them working in the Word without overwhelming them or feeling like there's no way I can do it. A, a second, a redemptive, um, uh, a redemptive his, uh, context, contextual question might be, read through chapter 1. Can you find the gospel anywhere in chapter 1? You know? So, like, when, look, when you get, they'll read through it. It won't kill anyone to read chapter 1 of Colossians. It's a pretty quick tip. Look at verse 21. Someone read 21 and 22 out for me out loud. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his head. Oh man, if you can get a woman to find the gospel in her immediate context, that's going to be so powerful. And the epistles... Always start with an epistle because the gospel is always very blatant, you know, right there in the epistle. So you ask a context question, can you find the gospel in chapter 1? And so all they have to do is read it and they'll find the gospel. That teaches them to think redemptive historically. And then you'll ask them a summary, and author's main point. Here's an easy one I would do for this particular um, passage is, what does Paul want to say to the Colossians? And then they're going to come up with your summary statement, which is the main point. So all you have to do is, what does Paul want to say? You don't have to tell them they're doing, you know, the main point or the emphasis. What does Paul want to say to the Colossians? Him and Timothy want to meet or greet the Christians there with grace and peace. They've just found the main point of the text. And then finally, I would ask at least two application questions, because again, like I said, we're kind of getting in, we're kind of rebounding back and forth and swinging back and forth where now application's is almost assumed. Whereas used to, I feel like interpretation was assumed. So make sure, what would be, off the top of your head, can you think of one really just good application question? I know I'm really sticking you on the spot. You'll obviously have time, like six months, to work through this or more. The the point is, is greeting people they've never met. He's greeting people they've never met with grace and peace. So there could be something about grace and peace in there. So how do you connect with people on a daily basis that you've never met? I mean, it's for what um, yeah, Yeah. you. I yeah. Mean, you could even get more specific. I mean, I love that because I hadn't even thought of that. That's what I love about working in a team. That's where teamwork is so incredible. But you could even say, how can you encourage a believer you've never even met? Because then it's getting even more specific. He's sending grace and peace from God. So how can you practically encourage believers you've never met? That's like a really penetrating application question. Do you Did you think of something? Like, does it... Do you have to make it for people you've never met? No. How could you encourage? Like family members? Yeah. How can you encourage? You could say family. You could say your local church body. You could say neighbors. neighbors. I was just going to say, it can be non-Christian neighbors. I mean, the point, always going to, remember, the point is he's writing to believers. But then there's those timeless implications. And so, um, uh, one final thing I would say is maybe like... Um, I would draw, I would somehow bring in the fact that in Christ they're saints and faithful brothers. I think with women you could ask an identity statement. I'm trying to think, can anyone think, and this is the last question we'll do, how to word that really specifically, something that could draw them into that application. Yes, so, like, what does it say about who you are through your union with Christ? And then they can wrestle in their group with, I, I, I sinned, I yelled at my kids this week, I, I was a horrible friend, I was an insecure mother, I was blah, 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 blah. But you, you know what, this week I, I, saw, I saw in Bible study, right there in the Word, that because of my union with Christ, I'm a saint. Could you ask the question, how do people see the Christ in you? How do people see Christ in... Had two Christians. A, let me think. how? Yeah, I think you definitely could. You'd want to word it in a way that's still faithful to the text, but I love the way you're going. I think you could say, um, you know, if you're in Christ, is, is your union with Christ reflected? Okay. So you just want to, the way you word it, you still want to be faithful to this right here, but still pertinent and, and very applicable application. So, boom, you've just got day one <laughs> of Colossians, and you now you're going to go back and write a study for their women. I know we are here. We are closing up. That was an hour and 15, so we're right on.